0: Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's sermon podcast. Today is our feast of title, All Saints, All Souls Day, and we hear from the Reverend Emily Boring as she preached from this day's elections, which was Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or sermons by All Soulsians on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. What can we hope for? In the last month, I've heard this question over and over. I've asked it myself almost every day. Week after week, it seems, something happens in the world that makes us feel hopeless. The attack by Hamas in Israel, an airstrike on an Anglican hospital, a humanitarian crisis in Gaza, after decades of displacement and suffering. We've watched as synagogues and mosques have hired armed security guards, while our church doors remain open and, for now, safe. And then last week, illusions of safety were shattered when a man opened fire in Maine, killing 18 people while our lawmakers failed once again to commit to change. What can we hope for? The problems seem intractable, unsolvable. Is there any path to peace between Israel and Palestine? What will it take before our own leaders realize that human lives are more important than political ideals? There are times when we have to work pretty hard to make a part of Scripture feel relevant. When I looked at today's Gospel, I thought, thank God it's not another parable. (laughs) I don't have to turn a story inside out and upside down to figure out what exactly we're supposed to learn. And then there are times when identifying with Scripture feels all too easy. The readings uplift a question we're still urgently asking. They expose a tension that belongs to our world just as much as it did to the world of the text. I think that's the case for today's readings from Revelation, 1 John, and Matthew's Beatitudes. In their own way, each of these texts is about what it means to hold hope in the face of that which makes hope feel impossible. They're about trying to reconcile our certainty about God's justice and goodness with the suffering of God's people now. They're attempts to articulate a vision for the future that's different enough, certain enough, abundant enough to transform our experience of the present. Our readings can't tell us what we should hope for in our world today. And I don't want to suggest there's a clear answer or that I know it. But I do think these readings, these texts for All Saints Day, can teach us something about the nature of hope itself. They can show us how communities across time and space have thought about the connection between hope and suffering, between what's lost and what's still with us, between the truth of what is and the vision of what's to come. So, let's start with the Beatitudes. On All Souls and All Saints Day, we often talk about liminality. As we call to mind our ancestors and loved ones, we enter a liminal space, a thin place where what was draws near to what is. In a similar way, the Beatitudes are a meeting point of two different layers of time and experience, the now and the not yet. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The first half of each phrase is rooted clearly in the present, announcing a current reality. The word for blessed here, makarios, confirms that. There's a different Greek word, eulogia, that's used to bestow a blessing, to confer praise on someone or something. Makarios here, by contrast, describes a state of blessedness that's already there. It conveys an existing state of spiritual prosperity a rightness of relationship with God, now. So the message isn't, be poor in spirit, and if you do that, then you'll be rewarded. You don't need to do, earn, or prove anything to receive this blessedness. If you're poor in spirit, meek, persecuted, suffering for righteousness, you're already blessed, here and now. But then, there's the second half of each sentence, the part that describes something that will happen in the future. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In each case, the state of blessedness, makarios, is already present. But a future event influences this blessedness, exposes it, or justifies it, Or completes it somehow. What's to come shapes how we see what is. I want to pause and appreciate the unexpectedness of this logic, this relationship between the future and the present. We're used to thinking about events linearly from source to outcome, cause to effect. Under that formula, the Beatitudes would be a kind of instruction. Be merciful, and then you'll receive mercy because of it. Act this way now, and then in the future you may receive a reward. But that's not what Jesus is saying. In the Beatitudes, Jesus declares that the blessedness of these suffering people precedes any outward recognition. The mourning are not yet comforted. The meek have not yet inherited the earth. The conditions of our human world clearly do not match the characteristics of God's kingdom to come. But in the Beatitudes, the vision of God's kingdom, conveyed here and throughout the Gospel of Matthew, is strong enough to change our perception of the present moment. Here and now, Expectations are overturned, roles are reversed. People who are usually marginalized are portrayed as blessed. I think this is the first lesson about hope that the Beatitudes are trying to teach us. It's natural to use the present to imagine the future. We build our vision of what's coming based on what we can currently see. But when it comes to hope, that gets us stuck sometimes. Based on how our world is currently going, it's hard to envision peace or well-being. Present evidence and the weight of history behind us doesn't always give us good reason to expect that things might change. But I think that Jesus is showing us that hope doesn't have to work that way. Hope in the Beatitudes isn't built on what is, It's motivated by what's to come. Hope doesn't arise from something old. It moves toward something new. When we hope, we're not constrained by what we've already seen or already experienced. We're freed to imagine a future that feels impossible, illogical, wildly and wonderfully different from now that freedom of imagination is part of what hope means. And yet, hope is more than radical imagining. Even as the Beatitudes affirm existing blessedness, even as they assure us of the coming kingdom of God, this text also has an ethical component. Hope requires initiative from us. Take the fourth verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The translation of that last word, comforted, doesn't fully capture the force of the verb in Greek. The Greek word, which I won't try to pronounce here, is a derivative of the term paraclete, meaning advocate, or one who intercedes. This suggests that those who mourn will receive not just comfort, but advocacy. Comforting those who suffer is good, and we should do it, but it's not nearly sufficient. We're called to advocate on behalf of other people and do everything in our capacity to reverse or prevent their suffering. The grammar of the Beatitudes also supports this call to action. Almost all of the promises in the Beatitudes Are written in the passive voice in which a subject is acted upon. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will be called children of God. Who's the agent of these actions? Who will fill the hungry? Who will show mercy to the merciful? Who will call the peacemakers children of God? We could take the easy route and claim that God is the agent who will accomplish all that God has promised. But the open-ended nature of the verb allows, even demands, human agency too. Hope means pairing trust with action. We have a role in transforming what could be into what is which is why it's fitting to talk about hope on All Saints and All Souls Day. Today, we celebrate the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, the people recognized and unknown, whose visions of a possible future have helped form the world we live in now. Our reading from Revelation describes these saints vividly, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. In this crowd, we can place our own saints from the histories that we remember. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Oscar Romero, Pauli Murray. Each of these saints combined vision with action. They were intimately aware of the reality of their world, of injustice, suffering, death, war, and hate. Their intimacy with this suffering is what forced them to imagine something different. Hope was not the opposite of realism. Hope was the only option. When we truly face the world as it is, hope is often the only way. I remember a time early on in COVID in March, 2020. Above my altar, I'd long kept a quote by St. Julian of Norwich. All will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. As the world shut down and the news became grimmer, I got angry. That's all well and good for you, Julian. (laughs) you're not in the middle of a global pandemic cut off from all other human beings." And then I remembered, yeah, she was. (laughs) In Julian's lifetime, more than half of the population of Europe died of bubonic plague. She spent much of her life as an anchoress, confined voluntarily to a small stone cell. Out of conditions of extreme loss, fear and aloneness, she received the most intimate, abundant visions, and she wrote Revelations of the Divine Love, a text that has given us hope ever since. In a moment, and this is partly to warn you, Ruth and I will sprinkle you with water. Together we'll affirm our baptismal covenant renewing our promise to strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. Baptism is about the meeting of what was, what is, and what is coming. Through this ritual, we celebrate our union with all saints and all souls, named and unnamed, who have received this living water and entered into the everlasting body Of Christ. As we perform this ritual today, I invite you to keep my opening question in mind. What can we hope for? All Saints Day reminds us that we belong to a spiritual lineage of people who have dared to ask that question. In the words of our opening collect, God has knit us together in one communion and fellowship. Later, we'll write the names of our own saints on ribbons, creating a literal tapestry of loss, love, and hope. I want you to think back to a person in this spiritual weaving. Picture a saint you admire, call to mind a parent, Grandparent, mentor, sibling, friend. Someone whose name isn't on a holy calendar, but whose presence shaped your life. Once upon a time, your reality was someone else's hopeful vision. Our now was someone's not yet. Hope doesn't belong to us alone. Hope comes from the past, and it moves us into the future. So what would you hope for if you knew that your hope could someday become someone's reality? And how would you live? What would you do to make it so?